What's going on, guys? And welcome back to a brand new episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, and I hope you're doing what you love with the people that you love. And let's just jump straight into it. Well, this is my 40th year on this little blue dot we call Earth. And um, obviously, men's health starts becoming a bit more of an issue around these uh, 40 years and uh, above. And I'm really happy to have a guest on today who is an expert in men's health, and I'm sure he'll give a much better introduction to kind of his area of expertise and what he's done to kind of get to where he is and the book that he's written. So, uh, Judson, I appreciate you jumping on with us today, and uh, welcome to the show. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. I mean, halfway around the earth. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard and to believe. It is, and um, I mean, we were just saying off air that uh, you've got a beautiful background there uh, behind you. Where are you in the world, right? I'm in Northern California. Fantastic. So in the um, San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, beautiful. So actually, when I was in Melbourne, it, it re- reminds me a lot of the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. what were you, how long ago were you in Melbourne? Oh, gosh, maybe 15, 20 years. A friend of mine was doing a fellowship at St. John's Hospital. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, um, give us a bit of introduction, I guess, uh, to your background, Matt, and um, uh, for people who may not have come across uh, your work and what you've been doing, kind of where, what does that kind of history line look like and kind of where, I guess, yeah, yeah. it led you to writing your book? Absolutely. So, it, you know, it, it was a long path, but it started, I grew up in New York and then I went to Brown University for undergraduate, studied history. And then after undergraduate, I worked at American Red Cross with Harold T. Merriman. He was the first person to figure out how to freeze blood for transfusion. So if you take blood and put it in the freezer, the red blood cells will pop because water expands when it's frozen. So he was the first person to figure out what you need to put into blood in order for it not to burst. And then I went off to Vanderbilt for medical school. And during Vanderbilt, I went off to Harvard to do clinical research with the group that figured out how to do the first living-related kidney transplant. I was really interested in kidney transplantation. Then I finished up medical school and went off to UCLA, so the University of California at Los Angeles, trained in surgery and then urology. And then I helped pioneer surgical robotics with the da Vinci uh, surgical robots, I helped build a kidney stone center, helped pioneer MRI-guided prostate biopsies. And about three years ago, I became really interested in regenerative treatments for erectile dysfunction. So helping guys who no longer were able to get uh, erections adequate for penetrative intercourse to get enough blood flow in the penis for the penis to actually work. And so I helped pioneer um, low-intensity shockwave therapy and platelet-rich plasma and some of the other technologies for that. And uh, that's what I've been doing for the past three years, doing clinical research, writing books, uh, and seeing patients. Fantastic. And um, I guess yeah. to, to split up your day, I, how much are you kind of still in clinical type work and to research work and to obviously now, obviously authoring your book and things like that? How does your kind of day look on a daily basis? Yeah. Days? You know, so I, I wrote my book during COVID. Mm-hmm. So there's no way I could have been written my book uh, working, you know, what I, <laughs> the, the days that I do, but um And so now I see patients kind of nine to three, nine to five. And then part of seeing patients also is conducting clinical research trials. And I have a research team. And so we have patients that come in. Uh, We have some really fascinating clinical research trials. One is uh, using a device called the M-Sculpt. So actually, there was just um, an M-Sculpt, a BTL M-Sculpt event in Australia, I think in Sydney. But it's, uh, it's coming to Australia. It's an amazing device that uses high-intensity focused electromagnetic waves to contract muscle. So kind of like a TENS unit, but to the next 
seven levels. Yeah. Okay. And I've been able to, with 30 minute treatment with this device, it's the equivalent of about 10 or 15 workouts. And I've been able in the clinical research study I'm doing so far, we've built biceps and t- tricep mass about 10 or 15% with six 40 minute treatments. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So that's, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. You couldn't do that in the gym. Absolutely. And is that, yeah. is your, is your aim to then transfer the, that over into, I guess the erectile dysfunction kind of platform and kind of working the muscle there or like what's the kind of uh, idea? Well, kind so of a- there's a, there's a similar device for the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've already previously shown that that improves the intensity of ejaculation. Um, and the clinical study I'm doing for that, we've seen improvements in urination and also in strength of stream because it strengthens the bladder muscle. And then also uh, there are improvements in erectile function, not to the extent that we were kind of hoping, but it's just one more tool in our, in our toolbox to help men uh, kind of regenerate the ability to improve erectile function. In my own clinical um, kind of setting, I, I worked with uh, a lot of, I guess, pre-surgery and then mostly post-surgery um, patients who have gone through prostate cancer. And I know a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of them had issues with urination or being able to hold uh, urination and then obviously um, erectile dysfunction and issues like that. Do you see that um, as you're kind of aging, just as a, a, ma- a man aging, do you see that it's becoming more prevalent these issues around this, or is it specifically for a particular demographic of men? Like where are you kind of seeing these issues usually coming up? Yeah. So they did a a study many, many years ago called the Massachusetts male aging study. So it's the largest study of men ever done in the United States. And what they found is that 50% of men in their fifties had some degree of erectile dysfunction, 40% of men in their forties. 60% 60% of men in their 60s, 70% of men in their 70s. So really half of all men over the age of 50 have some degree of erectile dysfunction. So it's really, I think, a lot more common than most people think. Now it's even more common in patients with diabetes, folks that smoke, folks that drink a lot, folks that are sedentary, um, you know, folks that eat too much processed food. So there are a lot of risk factors that you can reduce or mitigate by eat, by having a healthier lifestyle. And the thing is, you know, you said you're turning 40. And so a lot of folks that are turning 40 really don't have any of these problems, but what you're doing in your twenties, thirties, forties really sets you up for living a more healthy life in your fifties, sixties, or seventies. So you don't want your 60 year old self saying, gosh, I really wish my 40 year old self had taken better care of me because right now, you know, I'm fat. I'm out of shape. I can't get an erection. My testosterone's low, and I really feel bad about myself. You know, you don't want to be that 60 year old guy that's saying, I wish my 40 year old self had done a better job. And I mean, you, you gave those percentages there. I mean, my head goes straight to the thought of most men don't talk about any of their health issues, let alone probably something as probably personal as erectile dysfunction. Do you think the numbers are probably even higher than that? Because there's blokes who just go, you know what? I don't want to even talk about this to a doctor or anyone like, is that probably something that um, is the case? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think that, uh, you know, men really don't want to talk about that, these kind of things. And that's, that's a good part. Why I wrote the 21st century man is that it's really the most complete guide for prevention and early intervention for men. 
And it really, it, it started out as a much smaller book about uh, sexual function. But the thing is, there are so many things that affect sexual function, whether it's heart disease or diabetes or, uh, you know, the way that you look or the way you feel about yourself or your mental health or your relationships or your sleep. I mean, I could just, I could throw a laundry list of, of things at you that affect um, your ability to uh, have satisfying penetrative intercourse with a partner who actually cares about you that, um, that that's how we ended up with 101 chapters. Yeah. I mean, tell us a bit more about that book and I guess where it kind of all started and you said that uh, COVID was uh, a reason why it could get done and be the extensive book it was, but have you always wanted to write a book? Is that always something on the back of the uh, mind? Or? Not, not really, but you know, it's, I've been blessed with a really incredible education. And I think if you have a really good education, you have an obligation to the world to, to give something back. And this was sort of my way of, of giving something back to basically transmit everything that I'd learned about men's health over the past 25 years. And, you know, it's not just me, it's 50 or 60 of my really elite colleagues um, that wrote chapters on things that I didn't know about, like heart disease or diabetes or smoking or alcohol abuse or gosh, I mean, everything. We have a, a aesthetics chapter. So I have dermatologists and plastic surgeons and, um, and we have lifestyle chapters and we have addiction chapters and really honestly, everything that you possibly could care about in your, uh, in the second half of your life as a man is really covered in the book. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, again, obviously I, I highlight that I'm coming up to the age of 40 now and, um, obviously being in the fitness industry and helping, um, you know, work with clients myself over the years and seeing, as you said, people who haven't taken care of themselves in their 20, 30s and 40s, then having to come to me with type 2 diabetes, heart disease, you know, hypertension, blood pressure issues, you know, all these kind of issues and then us trying to reverse or try and help that in some way, shape or form as they are in their 50s and 60s. A guy who's maybe listening to this, and I, I did say, say this in the show notes, and we kind of talked about this before, um, you know, to maybe the women in the, these men's lives as well. Maybe you're the sister of a, a, you know, a brother, or you're, you're the wife, or you're, you know, whatever it might be. What's something that, you know, someone in their kind of 40s, maybe they're in their 30s, um, we're catching them earlier. What's something that people can like preload and pre do to kind of better your, um, chances of being you know healthy and happy and having great sex later in life and having a great life kind of as you move into those later years. Yeah. I mean, you and I both know it's pretty simple. It's not, you don't need a, a doctor to tell you that you shouldn't drink, you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't do drugs, you shouldn't eat too much, you should exercise every day, you should stretch every day, you should do a little bit of meditation, and you should be nice to other people, right? If you did all of those things every day, your, your health would be much better. Your happiness would be much higher. The problem is that life isn't always that simple and people need coping mechanisms or there's a whole marketing apparatus, for example, around alcohol, right? Alcohol is terrible for you. You know, it literally is poison. It, it makes you fat. It makes you stupid. It makes you make do make dumb decisions. It makes you sad. But um, 
we're all told by the advertising industry and the marketing industry that, you know, it's something cool to do. You should be doing it. And so, you know, when people get sad or when they go out on Saturday night, they start drinking. And then alcohol is empty calories. So it leads people to get fat and then they get sedentary. And then they get depressed and so on and so forth. Then they get knee pain because they're carrying too much weight. So it's a whole sort of domino effect of, of problems. You know, same thing with smoking. Like why on earth would anyone ever pick up a cigarette and smoke? But, you know, in the United States, 15% of people still do. Mm -hmm. And so really it, at the end of the day, it's pretty simple, but it's not quite that simple. I, I always love that. I think the term is like the dosage is in the poison um, in that, I mean, excessive alcohol consumption done, you know, weekend after weekend. Absolutely. But uh -huh. is, is there a level to which people, you know, if you had a drink once a week, once a week or once a month, like, is there kind of a level that, you know, there is actually a beneficial effect? Cause I mean, you do tend to hear that. I mean, again, I, I don't know the, the exact numbers, but yeah. like, you know, red wine has certain antioxidants and it's better for heart. Like, are those kinds of things just more of a marketing ploy or is there some truth to there is a level that is actually beneficial and it could help? You know, out? I think that it's a great question. And more and more research as it comes out shows that really no amount of alcohol is healthy for you. Right. Um, there was a huge study in The Lancet, which is the largest British medical journal that shows they look just at longevity, right? How long people live zero to one drinks a day, no change in longevity, one to two drinks a day, you lose about six months of longevity, two to three and a half drinks a day, you lose a year or two of your lifespan through over three and a half drinks a day, uh, you lose four to five years of your lifespan, right? So, you know, that into itself is, you're losing lifespan. But then on top of that, really alcohol is four things. Alcohol is very socialized. So it, it, you know, it's, it, it integrates with so many of things that we do, but it's a depressant, right? If you drink alcohol, more than likely it's going to make you sad. Second of all, it disinhibits you, right? So it affects your frontal lobe, your decision-making process. Most of us have done really dumb things while under the influence of alcohol, right? Yeah. Whether it's, you know, <laughs> saying something to someone that you shouldn't have said or hitting someone or uh, driving a car under the influence of alcohol. Um, and then third of all, it's empty calories, right? So I had a patient the other day, right? He was 25 pounds overweight, couldn't lose the weight. And he's drinking two glasses of wine uh, a night, right? And I live near Napa Valley. Uh, everyone drinks wine. So I said, how many calories do you think are in a glass of wine? So we went on Google, 125 calories in a glass of wine. All right. So you have two of those. So it's 250 calories times 365 days in a year divided by 3,500, which is the number of calories in a pound of fat. Right. I said, well, what would you get on your calculator? He said, 26. I said, that's 26 pounds of fat that you're putting on your body each year because you have two glasses of wine a night. I said, if you just cut that out, and just had water, first of all, you would lose 26 pounds. Second of all, you'd probably save a couple thousand bucks because wine's not cheap. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, and then the thing is, you know, then you go out with your mates, you have a bunch of beers, and then you go to the taco maker <laughs> and, uh, and you put on, you know, eat food that you really shouldn't be eating. So it's, 
you know, and in your 20s and 30s, you can get away with it. But as you get older, it's harder and harder to get away with. So, for example, there was a, a recent study out of the fielding lab at Tufts. They took 20-year-olds and 50-year-olds. They gave them the same exact workouts. And then they did muscle biopsies afterwards. And what they found was that the 20-year-olds expressed three times as many proteins, protein-growing genes as the 50-year-olds, which means that 20-year-olds build muscle three times as fast as 50-year-olds, mm. right? So the stuff you can get away with in your 20s or 30s, you can't get away with when you hit 50 or when you hit 60. And a lot of my patients are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, um, and I've been incredibly successful helping those guys build muscle and get rid of fat through some very, very simple principles. Is there a, um, is there a knowledge around kind of, I guess the drop off that, um, you tend to see of muscle mass in, um, populations as they kind of age? Absolutely. So, you know, up until 40, you don't really drop that much muscle mass. Um, after 40, between 40 and 70, you lose about 0.8% of your muscle mass per year. After 70, you lose 1.5% of your muscle mass or more per year. And is that regardless that, of whether you're trained or untrained in that? Is it more if you're kind of not training at all? Well, you know, so there's another really interesting curve. You should, you could look this up really easily. Um, if you look at the world record well, for a hundred yard dash in running or a hundred yard swim in swimming, it's relatively flat between the ages of 20 and 60. And after the age of 60, the slope dramatically changes up to about the age of 80. And after the age of 80, the slope dramatically changes again. And so really you can hold on pretty well up until 60 years old. And after 60, even if you're training at a high level, if you're uh, eating right, if you're sleeping, uh, it becomes much more difficult. Um, I always like using the terminology that things are simple, but they're not necessarily easy. And I think you highlighted that when you said, you know, it's pretty simple. We all know that we should probably eat better, probably reduce our um, you know, alcohol, exercise more, get good quality sleep, you know, meditation, all those different things, I think absolutely add to that. But then, you know, you throw life into the, into the recipe um, kind of book and, you know, things get in the way. And, you know, as you have kids, as you have a job that becomes more demanding, as all these different things, are completely empathetic to the the idea that you know doing all of those things as much as you know they're important they become difficult and so I guess from I guess the book that you've now written and the people that you've now spoken to what do you think are like the top three things like rather than having a shopping list of here's seven things that you must do are there three things that you've learned that you know what to have a healthier happier life moving on these are the three that are probably more important to kind of focus on yeah well the first chapter of the book. Uh, you know, it's a long book. It's not meant to be read cover to cover. So what I would do is read the introduction, which kind of tells you what's in the book and how to read the book and how to use the book, and then read the first chapter. And the first chapter is called The Hero's Journey. And it's about uh, heroes, right? So there's a guy, Joseph Campbell, that wrote an amazing book uh, or series of books on mythology. And, and there's a mythology archetype. And so I go through that mythology archetype and really the most important thing to understand is we are the heroes of our own journey, right? So, you know, Johnny Depp and Tiger Woods and, you know, all these, these movie stars and athletes, they got their own problems, 
and they have their own life issues. And if you idealize them and you get too caught up in their lives and how perfect their lives are, you'll lose sight of your own life. And really, you need to be the hero of your own life's journey. You're the hero of your family, of your workplace, of your community, right? And then the decisions that you make you need to under you need to think about them in that respect right so would a hero drink too much and get out on the road or would a hero you know smoke cigarettes or would a hero sit on the couch and watch tv all day instead of exercise and you know when you ask those questions to yourself the answers become really apparent and it's much easier to do the things that you feel like you need to do. Yeah, I think it's it's a really good, yeah, that's a really good point to bring up. And I actually just wrote an email to my um, my database uh, the other day talking about, I guess the the sacrifices that come with greatness. I um, mean that we all, as you said, we all idolize these pinnacles of their industry, be that a Tiger Woods, and then particularly this email was about Tiger Woods. And you say, look, he's the greatest golfer that's ever walked the planet. Like he's got all this millions of dollars and everything like that. But then you actually take a look at how he got there. And if you understood the sacrifices that his child went childhood went through, mm. how tough his father was on him, the fact that he can't hold a relationship together and his wife is chasing him down the road with a, a golf club and he's driving his car into a tree. Like they're the things that we kind of just brush aside and go, oh yeah, that happens. And we just keep focusing on this pinnacle moment. And yet, most people wouldn't want to sacrifice everything that has had to go into creating that, you know, pinnacle of being the best golfer on the planet. And I think, you know, for most of us, we just want to live a happy go easy life where, you know, we enjoy the job we do. We, we love the people we spend our time with and we live healthy and happily and long into life. And that creates far less sacrifice around the things you have to do to still create that healthy, happy life. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, as I said, taking a big step back and I think answering that question that you said, you know, what what is the version of your hero that kind of, what, what does that hero do and how do they kind of act in their day? Exactly. And so, you know, that I take care of guys like the, from the zero to 99th percentile, right? So just like the, the regular guys getting them better and then they're the elite folks. And so there are, you know, there are things that I do to kind of get the elite folks to do better. So I have, you know, peptides and, 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 uh, you know, things like M sculpt and, and I do a lot of hormone replacement, testosterone replacement, you know, and I, I work with bodybuilders and, and, uh, public safety officers, SWAT teams and, and police and fire and so on and so forth. And though, you know, those are sort of the higher performance guys. And so, you know, I can talk about those kind of things. And a lot of that stuff's in the book too, but then there's the stuff just for the regular guys, just to be a healthier version of yourself. I mean, even something as simple as, right, when you're in your 20s and 30s, you wake up in the morning with an erection, right? And then in your 40s or maybe your 50s, those erections in the morning become less frequently or they go away, right? That's a sign. That's a sign that your circulation isn't working as well as it used to, right? You have to pay attention to that sign because 10 years after that happens, you're going to be intimate with your partner one night and all of a sudden things aren't going to work. Okay. And that's a sign because 10 years after that, if you ignore it, you're going to grab your chest one day because you're having a heart attack Mm. because 
the arteries to the penis are one or two millimeters and the arteries to the heart are three to four millimeters. So the ones to the penis are going to get clogged up 10 years before the arteries to the heart. Right. Yeah. And then even before you have a heart attack, I mean, I had a patient today. He had a heart attack when he was 61 years old, a hundred percent occlusion of the LAD, which they call the widow maker artery, the main trunk to the left side of the heart. And I said, you know, did you have any signs or symptoms before you had the heart attack? And he said, well, you know, maybe I was getting tired. Maybe I felt like I had a indigestion. You know, maybe I was sleeping more. I'm like, that's just a typical guy's response of like, you just didn't want to admit to yourself that something was wrong. But you know what? 25% of the time, guys don't get a second chance. Mm. 25% of the time, you get sudden death and you die. You know, you can't take another quarter and put it in the yeah. video game and hit reset. <laughs> right. And, so, I mean, it's, 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 it's serious. And what's the, I mean, I, I can't remember the exact percentage again. I mean, those guys who do survive that, that heart attack, where you just said it's, it's, it's a large number that don't, but the, the repeat heart attack that comes usually not far after a lot die on that one as well. So, I mean, those ones that are lucky enough to survive that one, you know, typical men, again, we, even that big wake up call of shit, I just had a heart attack and I almost died here. It doesn't tend to wake up most men again. They don't go, I need to do something to try and fix this. They just, huh, well, no, I'm late in life. What am I going to do now? Kind of thing. And like, what, what's the number they kind of like who go and have a second heart attack? Not yeah. Too far you know, I honestly, I don't know that number. Uh, but uh, you know, it's probably pretty substantial because the mm -hmm. thing is once you have uh, dead heart muscle, you get arrhythmias, mm -hmm. right? Cause the heart runs on electricity and, but it requires, you know, special nerves and muscle tissue that, that, that electrical signal diffuses through. And if all of a sudden you kill a bunch of heart tissue, then the uh, electrical signal doesn't diffuse properly and you get arrhythmias, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, was listening to a podcast the other day, actually on menopause and um, I guess uh, hormone replacement therapy for um, women, how it's becoming a much more utilized. And the, uh, the age old thought that it was causing cancer and issues like that was certainly being debunked. And no, I think women can live, you know, much better lives throughout menopause and not just kind of in quotes suffer um, through it. Is something like TRT, you kind of, um, you know, mentioned quickly there with regards to bodybuilders, but for, for men is like, if they go to their doctor in their, you know, their forties or so and their testosterone has plummeted and their health in general is not doing so well. Are there things around hormones just for the general public that men can kind of benefit from as well? Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, there's an amazing chapter in the book about called what guys need to know about menopause. Right. So super, super important for any guy whose spouse is heading towards or in menopause, you have to understand it because it changes your spouse's personality. And if you don't understand what they're going through, uh, it, it can divide a relationship. Um, but the, the second question you had about testosterone replacement, I'm a huge advocate of testosterone replacement. Um, and, uh, it, I, I, it's been miraculous for so many of my patients, right? So first of all, you have to get your testosterone checked. Make sure you get your testosterone checked first thing in the morning, right? Because you're, when you sleep, you replace your testosterone. And then during the day, you use your testosterone. So by three, four o'clock, 
you know, a lot of your testosterone has been used up and then it's low until you go back to sleep and then it gets replenished, right? So you want to check your testosterone first thing in the morning and you want to check a total testosterone and a free testosterone because the testicle makes testosterone, but it doesn't store testosterone. So the testosterone is actually stored in the bloodstream and most of your testosterone, about 98% is attached to what's called sex hormone binding globulin, which is a protein that binds testosterone and then releases it every once in a while when your levels start to, to dip. So really the most important thing is your free testosterone. And as you get older, your sex hormone binding globulin goes up and up and up. So you end up with less and less free testosterone, but that's the most important testosterone. Now, if your testosterone's low and you have symptoms of low testosterone, right? So low energy, low motivation, fatigue, uh, low libido, putting on fat, growing man boobs, uh, less muscle mass, right? Then you have signs and symptoms of low testosterone. So if your testosterone number is low, but you're not clinically hypogonadal, then don't do anything about it. But if your testosterone is relatively low, you know, anything under 400, especially anything under 300, and you have signs and symptoms of, of low testosterone, then by all means, replace testosterone, right? And, um, you know, how to replace testosterone, why to replace testosterone, what levels to replace testosterone, you know, is a whole hour lecture that I give to physicians. But if you're interested, if you go to my website, which is brandeismd.com, B-R-A-N-D-E-I-S-M-D.com and go to media and then drop down to eBooks, I have three really good testosterone eBooks that are totally for free and will educate you on all aspects of testosterone, just regular old testosterone replacement, the levels you get on different methods of testosterone replacement, and also bodybuilding uh, testosterone replacement. I'm I'm asking this question for the podcast, but it's actually my own my own mind asking it personally for myself. As I said, I'm I'm yeah. coming to the age of forty and. Um, I want to go and have just a full checkup um, from my doctor. I'm not someone who frequents a doctor. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a very healthy young guy kind of thing, but as I get to 40, I want to kind of have those, you know, yearly checkups just to go and get my blood work done and look at all um, factors of blood as well as testosterone and things like that. But I guess for, as I said, myself asking the question, but for those guys listening in, going to your doctor and asking, Hey doc, I need a checkup. Like what are the things that they should ask for in that checkup for, men's health in particular? Yeah. So, uh, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, you know, testosterone, it's worth kind of checking. My opinion is it's worth checking into a lot of these things just to establish what your baseline is, right? I wouldn't expect you to have low testosterone and there are definitely, um, negatives of replacing testosterone in someone your age. Mm -hmm. For example, hair loss. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, uh, we've, all, we've got to stick together. Us, uh, us yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there is hair loss, but you yeah, know, you and I, that's where that, that, that horse has left the barn. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, for someone in their 40s, fertility, right? If you don't do it right, you can sacrifice your fertility. Uh, if you don't do it right, then you sacrifice your future ability to make testosterone, right? So I don't put people on testosterone unless I sort of, they understand the full 
gamut of of risks. Um, it's worth having a, a PSA. PSA is a prostate cancer screening test, probably at the age of 50 and not as much at, at the age of 40, unless you have a family history. Uh, men should get a colonoscopy when they're 50. If you have a strong family history, do it when you're 40. You should check uh, a urine analysis, right? So just pee in a cup. There's so many things that you can tell uh, from waste products, right? You can tell if someone's got diabetes, you can tell if they have blood in their urine, you can tell if they have urinary tract infections, you can tell if they have, you know, ketones from liver debt. And that's, you know, a super, super simple test. Um, you know, just basically a, a, a blood test to look at platelets, a blood test to look at um, uh, blood counts, you know, hematocrit, you know, whether you're anemic or not, uh, blood tests for liver, for kidney function, for thyroid function, that's something that can go bad uh, when you're at, hit your 40s. You know, B12, um, vitamin D. You know, a lot of us spend a lot of time indoors, maybe not in Australia, but uh, especially in the United States. And uh, and so those are some of the things that uh, are pretty good screening tests, which are you know relatively not invasive and uh, will give you a pretty good idea of where you are from a health perspective. And is that just your regular GP that you're going to? Is it a, like, should you seek out you know, a men's health specialist GP? Like who, who should uh, the guys be saying? Yeah. I mean, so our system is different than your system. Um, but, uh, you know, most GPs could certainly order those tests and interpret mm -hmm. those tests. A lot of times they won't order something like testosterone. And so that may be something that you have to specifically ask for. Mm -hmm. um, but that, you know, that's a very reasonable thing to ask for. And I'm, I'm sure most people would would order that. And the other thing is check your cholesterol. Yep. Right. So if your cholesterol is high, it means that you may be depositing that cholesterol on the inside of your blood vessels and that will narrow your blood vessels. And as your blood vessels become narrow, your heart has to pump harder to get blood to the same place, which turns into high blood pressure. And as the blood is pumped harder and harder, there's more turbulence there's more chance of blood vessels getting damaged, more chances of um, little blood clots forming in the walls of, of uh, blood vessels and more chances of, you know, heart attacks and strokes and erectile dysfunction, so on and so forth. With regards to, I guess, overall health as well, do, do you know kind of research that exists with regards to the type of exercise? I know we, we all obviously, we know how important exercise is, but um, again, I say it's 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 always easier to say just go and exercise, but it's not. Um, sorry, I should say it's more simple to say that, but not always so easy. With again, life gets in the way. Is going for a walk once a day enough? Is do people need to get into the gym? Should they be playing tennis? Should they like? What's the kind of idea around exercise? Yeah. So you know, I most of the advice I give are to guys over the age of at least forty, if not fifty. And, but I have, I used to be a triathlete. I used to run competitively. And so I have a pretty good handle on that kind of stuff. And so I do what's called ABC. A is ambulate, right? Do something on your feet, whether it's running, walk, fast walking, uh, stairmaster, elliptical, treadmill, whatever. B is biking, right? So get up on a bike or a stationary bike. And C is circuit training. So get, six or eight or 10 exercises, do them in rapid succession and then repeat. Because as you get older, it takes about 48 to 72 hours for you to recover. So if you put a hard workout in um, on the treadmill, you need 
48 hours or so to recover from that. But meanwhile, now you're biking the next day. You're using different leg muscles. And then if you put a good workout on the bike, then you go circuit training. So every day you're getting two days of rest for the next um, uh, exercise. The other thing is you should get a heart rate monitor. And the American Heart Association recommends that your, your heart rate be 220 minus your age times 0.75. Right. So my heart rate's got to be up around 125. I'm 55. So my heart rate's got to be up around 125 for me to be in that, what we call orange zone. Right. And a good rule of thumb is you're sweating. If you're sweating, you're probably working hard enough. And if you're working hard enough, you're burning 500 calories per hour. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause that's the other thing I work with my patients on and I'm not an expert. So I'm, I talk up to my patients about weight loss. I'm not like a nutritionist or anything like that, but you have to track calories. You have to know how many calories you're burning. So I have a body composition scale in my office that gives a basal metabolic rate, which is the number of calories that you burn on a daily basis, right? So if, say for a, you know, a big muscular guy, it's 2000 calories a day. And then the third thing you need to know is the number of calories in a pound of human fats. The number of calories in a pound of human fat is 3,500. So if you divide that by seven, you get 500 calories a day. So if you cut 500 calories a day, so if your BMR is 2,000, then if you eat 1,500 calories a day and not exercise, you'll lose one pound of fat per week, You know, which is not a lot, right? And that's you know, everyone's talking about keto this, keto that, but that's what we call ketosis, right? That's the burning of fat. That's the way that you lose quote weight. But I don't talk to my patients about weight. I talk to them about body composition. So I had a patient the other day that was complaining like, oh doc, I don't know if what we're doing is working. I said, great. Let's, he's like, I don't feel like I've lost much weight. I said, let's get on my body composition scale. So he had lost seven pounds of fat, but gained five pounds of muscle, mm. right? That to me, that's a good day. That's <laughs> a know? really good result. <laughs> yeah. So, but he was only, he was bummed because he's like, I only lost two pounds, but you changed your body composition, right? By putting on five pounds of muscle, your basal metabolic rate is going to go up about 60 or 70 calories, which turns into five pounds of fat loss per year on top of everything else, because muscle burns more calories than fat does. Yeah. So I've always um, used a multi, I mean, I, the scale obviously is a, a, is a tool to have uh, in your belt, but, you know, asking people to take um, photos of themselves or looking at, you know, measurements or just how clothes fit as well can be another great way of rather than just focusing just on that number on the scale. It's like, well, how are your clothes fitting? Well, actually now I'm down a notch on my belt or, you know, I, actually I took a photo and then one month later I took another, I can actually notice like I'm, I'm slimming out through my, my tummy mm -hmm. and, you know, things like that are, are great ways to kind of, I guess, keep people motivated for the fact that my scale hasn't changed in a month, but these other factors can certainly be changing as well. If you don't have access to, um, you know, some fancy scales yeah. or DEXA machines or things like that. So. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, I'm in the Bay Area. So a lot of my patients come from Apple, Google, Facebook, yeah. <laughs> Lawrence Livermore Labs, Oracle. So, you know, they're like a lot of engineers and they're they're all into like numbers and yeah, they come in with their aura rings and their Gapple watches and and so they're in they're into to numbers. And yeah, a lot of guys can 
as a generalization, women focus more on how they look uh, and guys focus more on numbers and are motivated more by numbers. Is there a sense of kind of um, feeling as well? Like do, do men kind of tap into like, I feel oh, yeah. better more so than as Absolutely. you said, where the, the look comes from? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's both. Yeah. You know, and sometimes the numbers kind of reinforce how people feel. Yep. That's a good point. Yeah. Excellent. Well, um, I always love leaving um, kind of people listening to a podcast, which is some sort of action that they can take tomorrow, like a little bit of nugget that they can take away rather than, you know, again, the we've spoken about a whole heap of different things that people can obviously start doing and prepping to make sure that obviously those later years in life. But what's something that tomorrow, that the number one thing you say, tomorrow do this because this is going to be, you know, your, your first big ticket to kind of moving forward. And what's that thing, that one thing that you would say that, yep, start doing this tomorrow. That's that's your your ticket to a better life tomorrow. You know what I really like to do that's made a huge difference in my own life is I wake up before everyone else in the house and I stretch for 15 minutes. And the house is quiet. You know, I have four kids, but at that time, it's about the only time of day that the house is quiet. And that stretching in the morning brings blood flow to all the different parts of your body that you usually don't sort of have blood flow going to. And it, it kind of increases my flexibility. I do a little meditation at the end of it. And then I start my day and it really makes a huge difference in terms of, of getting going. Fantastic. That's a great, uh, great piece of advice. I think it's uh, a good one to get going. As you said, I mean, yeah. so many people think that sleeping is the relaxing part, but you're still in a very stationary position. And so, moving and getting going before you actually get going for the day, I think is a very valuable thing uh, to get your day started. Yeah. So good piece of in, a, in a quiet house. Yes. <laughs> it's in a quiet house. You, you said you have kids, I'm sure. Yeah. I, gotta, can, you I gotta, can hear them running amok. You got to get up before. Yeah. You got to get up before they do. Absolutely. And um, I really appreciate your time today, mate. And um, if you don't mind indulging me, I always have a quick fire five that I like asking my guests who come on the show, just oh, yeah. quick fire five uh, questions. Yep. Excellent. Uh, let me bring them up. All right. Just the first uh, answer that comes to mind, uh, beach or snow? Uh, beach. Um, where you live, that makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we got, you know, we got Lake Tahoe. It's nice. That's too, true. It's, yeah. a, it's an hour and a half to the beach and three and a half hour to Lake Tahoe. Okay. Um, future or past, where would you like to go? Uh, future. Um, is there a particular point in the future you'd like to see? Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Great answer. Yeah, great answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't have to worry about nutritional <laughs> value. You don't have to worry about calories and things like that. What's the one food that you would have for the rest of your life? You have to choose something. Oh man. Uh, ice cream. Oh, what flavor? Um, Cherry Garcia. Ben and Ooh. Jerry's. Nice one. Um, family, friend, famous, dead or alive. Who would you like to have for dinner tonight? Uh Oh, family, friend. I could be any, like family or friend or someone famous, someone dead, someone alive. Like who would you like to have for dinner? Oh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Roger Bannister. He was the first person to break the four-minute mile and he was also a physician. Yeah. Okay, yeah. fantastic. That'd be a good, cool uh, be a good dinner, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I want you to get super selfish. You've said goodbye to your family. You've now only got one day left on uh, this planet to do something just for yourself. What do you do on that 24 hours? Yeah, I'd really love to, how to learn how to windsurf. Yeah, yeah. Great yeah. one. Good answer. So good answer. Well, Matt, I, yeah. again, I really appreciate uh, all your words of wisdom today and um, sharing your knowledge. And uh, 
all of your details, I'll get them off off you off um, after the show. But um, if, if people want to reach out to you on your website or your social media, I'll put all of those show notes below. And if they want to grab a copy of your book, I'm sure it's on all of the um, platforms and we'll put those links in the uh, show notes as well. Awesome. So I appreciate your time, mate. And I thank you for Great. everything you shared. Yeah. And if you're ever in California, come on by. Absolutely, mate. And I've been yeah, I've been to LA a couple cool of times, and so yeah, I'd, I'd I certainly love to get over to the states again, and so I'll certainly make my way up uh, north. I'd love to catch catch up. Awesome, you got it. Good hey, on thanks you, mate. for well, having me on. Yeah, excellent, mate. I appreciate that. And uh, guys, that's been another episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Do all those things you need to do: subscribe, leave a comment, and a five star rating, and definitely go and check out uh, Judson's work. And uh, I'm sure you'll live a happier, healthier life for it. So, guys, appreciate your time. Talk to you next week. Bye.